0: Well, each uh, Sunday during Advent, as we've come to this time, we've taken the opportunity to share uh, about a different ministry um, that we've been supporting financially in our community and globally. So, we've had an opportunity um, each week to kind of hear about uh, some ways that we can engage and that we can give, and really uh, asking us to maybe divert some of our giving towards um, some of these eternal things. So, we've had the opportunity the last few weeks to hear about the Global Orphan Project and Young Life. Um, and then last week we heard about uh, Food for Kids and Edison, the stuff we're doing there. Today we're going to get to hear more um, about the guest house um, and through the eyes of, um, of somebody that's been serving there a lot. A couple people are going to come share, but um, first is going to be uh, Abigail Burr, Abigail's uh, a senior at Central High School, and um, ran cross-country for me, um, and her parents helped us start uh, the church. And so she's been involved um, with the guest house quite a bit, and she's going to share a little bit about that experience. So come on up. Round of applause for Abigail. There you go.
1: Okay. Um, I'm up here to ta- today to talk to you all about the guest house and what it has done for me. I will try my best to explain it because the guest house is so mind-blowing leaves you in awe if you really do experience it. I knew I was hooked when the kids came to the house and welcomed all of my friends and I with open arms. They loved my friends and I from the get-go. They were not afraid to be themselves and what was going on in each of their lives did not matter when they stepped foot inside the house. They wanted to have fun and be happy. I expected some shyness and I expected them to keep me an arm's length away, but that didn't happen. Um, they showed... Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) But that just shows how our expectations are not always what God has planned. He is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. It was the second time I had gone to the guest house, and a little girl named Jazzy took my hand and ran me up the stairs to play kitchen. From the time I got inside that house, I was on the move. That was when I fell in love with the house and the people. I was not just loving the kids, they were loving me back, and that is a concept that I will never grasp. Sam said we were best friends from the start, and she was right. She is my best friend, every time you hang out with her you are bound to have fun. I love her contagious laugh and her willingness to give up her time. I could cry thinking about the numerous ways she has affected me. She loves me even when oh, sorry, she loves me even when I am crazy. She encourages me when I am completely unmotivated. She checks up on me no matter how busy she is, and she continuously shows me what it means to lay down your life for Christ every day. From the outside looking in, her job may seem like a party all the time, Um, but behind that green door, there's a lot of struggles that go on. The cool part about this is that darkness never wins. It says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Saying that, yes, Satan still attacks us, but Jesus will always overcome. Sam would still say at the end of the day that she loves living at that guest house and she loves each of those kiddos. She will be there for me no matter, or she will be there for them no matter what. Sam never stops giving, and she never stops thinking about what others may need. One Sunday when she spoke about the guest house, she got on the topic about her time not being her own. Some of us may have heard this line multiple times, but for some reason that specific Sunday it just really, like, hit me. Um, Sam revealed that her life was not 100% golden all the time. One day when she got home from, the, from a rough day, kids were sitting outside her door, which actually happens a lot especially at 7am she chose to help them even when it was so hard i started crying like right over there i just lost it um cuz she talked about how her time wasn't her own and i believe that i did i gave up everything and i believe that i did do that but um i would go to the guest house when it, when i wanted to i would go to food for kids when i could So Sam challenged us that Sunday to think of how we could begin living more in a Jesus way. I began praying, and the idea came to my head that I was going to live in the guest house. I was going to live in the guest house for three to four weeks in order to give up my time completely. I wanted God to be in the lead, and I really wanted God to show me what I was missing. So that day, I began praying about it more, and I talked to Sam about it. But of course, she was game for anything, like always, Um, after talking to my parents about what had happened, they gave me their okay to do it. They wanted me to be challenged in my faith and do what I felt God was pushing me to do, which is something that I'm really thankful for. They wanted me to be, or sorry, this just shows how sovereign our God is over every situation. He wants, he wants me at that guest house and I know that. Of course, I am nervous and I do not know what obstacles I will face, but I'm going to pray that this time at the guest house will test me in my faith and show me that I must give up everything in order to follow him. The last thing I want to say is a verse from John 15:5 that really just sticks with me. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This verse directly says how we can do nothing without God. I do not want to miss that important part. I want to do God's will, and he gave us this life to tell of his love and his grace, but not just when it is convenient for us. We must be all willing to do whatever God calls us to do at any time, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Thank you.
2: Okay, so I'm going to just talk to you um, a lot. I've been up here a lot just to tell you about like the house and what we're doing ministry-wise up there. but. Um, I don't know if a lot of you know that where my journey began here at WellSpring and like how I found Christ, um, and that started with the internship that Justin leads um, with the college kids and the young adults. And that was back in 2012. I was the um, in the first class of the internship, so that was pretty cool. Um, and that was just a really awesome time for me to be able to um, be pushed by Justin. Um, and the gospel he was sharing that with me um, and there was a lot of times that I post right back of this is not right because some of the things that Jesus does is just not what our culture says is right and um, I went into the internship and I didn't know Jesus I say I was like flirting with him and um, at the end of those seven weeks I was able to build relationships with other people in the church through like the lunches that come and then also just Um, become more biblical knowledge and just build that relationship with Christ. So that August I was baptized and that's like when this crazy journey um, started that I walked with Christ. Um, So that's my kick for do the internship, young adults and college kids, because it's amazing and we'll rock your world and any other wonderful verb that you want to add with that, it's just so amazing. Um, But I'm really, really excited to tell you that this year we're going to kind of expand that and... I wrote all this stuff, and I'm not using it at all. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyways, um, so you're still going to do, if they want to sign up for the internship, they will do that with Justin. Um, And then we're also going to offer, like, a missional track as well where um, they will work with me directly, and they'll be able to develop, like, ministry leadership um, and then also work on a ministry project and through that process um, just like help the house ministry to expand it and let it be able to um, continue to grow and like they've put a stamp on that and have that experience Um, so with that we are going to bring on four paid interns because that is something also in the internship you have this like struggle of should I get like how do I work how do I still go to class what happens with that Um, fortunately for me I lost my job so I was like I'm, I'm all in at that time um, but a lot of kids, it's not. that's not going to happen. God has a different story for everyone. So this season, um, we just ask that in the Advent season you be prayerful um, and donate to the guest house because when you're doing that, you're in getting a chance to invest in the next generation and give these kids um, an opportunity to be able to have a missional experience right here in their hometown around a body of believers and to be able to work through things kind of in a safety net rather than um, just being on their own in that experience. So I'm super excited about that. I can't wait to see who um, applies for that and um, who gets that and just whatever happens with God because You know, he just has these better plans, anything better than I could ever imagine. So, also, if you have any questions about the internship, you can talk to Justin or I. Thanks.
0: Yeah, so I sent out an update. um, this past week, just kind of apprising you on how we're doing um, on fundraising for uh, Advent stuff. And so we're, I think we're about $5,500 we've raised so far for some of the different projects back there. So those things will be out there till like January 3rd. Um, if you'd like to give to one of those particular ministries, there's little donation cards on each table. You can put your money into there and then put it in the offering box and we'll get it to the right place. So... Um, going to transition now into my message this morning. Um, on this fourth week of Advent, we're going to be talking uh, about the incarnation and talking not only just about what it is, but the implications of it for us. And so most of the miracles of Christianity fall into what I would call kind of the fairyland category. And what I mean by that is that they're all things that we could imagine. Okay, so we can imagine uh, the parting of the Red Sea. We can imagine uh, the walls of Jericho crumbling down. We could imagine manna falling from heaven or water coming from a rock or the blind seeing, the lame walking, even somebody being raised from the dead. Right? Hollywood can recreate about any of those images and have on several occasions. Okay? They're not normal occurrences, but we could easily imagine them. And then there's the incarnation. All right? Incarnation literally means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. So God coming in the form of the baby Jesus who is both fully God, fully divine, and fully human. That concept really stretches us. That's hard to even imagine. It's a mind blower. It's blatantly supernatural, okay? Outside of the bounds of of rational thought to try to understand that concept. A person who is both infinite and finite. Someone who's both eternal and temporal at the same time. And it's a stated fact in scripture, but it's not something that we really understand. Or if we tried to explain it or articulate it somewhat, we'd have a very difficult time explaining the concept of exactly what happened, who this Jesus was, and how he was all of those things at the same time. And because we don't know how to explain it or completely understand it, then it's very easy for other narratives to take over, isn't it? Author Frederica Matthews Green grew up in the church her whole life hearing about the incarnation, and she commented on this dilemma. Put that quote up there. She says, A God-filled baby in a pile of straw was a pleasant image, but somewhat theoretical compared with the heart-stopping exhilaration of a visit from Santa Claus, the way a thunderstorm ripped the night sky, the hurtling power of the automobile daddy drove so bravely, the rapture of ice cream. How could the distant incarnation compete with those? We grew up with the Jesus story until we outgrew it. And because we've so seldom been led to engage in the deeper mystery of the incarnation, we've simply moved on to more temporal, intangible substitutes. Santa, presents, commercialism, just to name a few. <clears throat> but here's the thing. The incarnation is not something to be understood per se. In the biblical accounts, the shepherds and the magi, they both you know, come to visit the baby Jesus. And when they get there, the Bible doesn't say that they started asking Mary and Joseph a lot of questions about exactly who this Jesus was and now how does this work that he's both God and man and they don't enter into this big, huge theological discussion to try to wrap their minds around it. It says that they took a look at Jesus and they, they worshipped him. No, the incarnation is not something to be understood. It's something to be explored and experienced and pondered and worshipped. We have to come to the manger in reverence and awe for a God who knew exactly what he was doing and sending us this scandalous being, divinity in diapers. There was something about this child. In Matthew chapter 2, it says that the magi, they followed the star from a great distance. And when they finally arrived on the scene, it says they took one look at Jesus and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they lavished him with gifts. When Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus, usually it happens about the 40th day of of their life, a firstborn son has to be taken to the temple in Jerusalem to be uh, consecrated to the Lord. And so Joseph and Mary do that. They arrive at the temple that day, and then they have this encounter with, with two different people. The Bible says we're devout and righteous followers of God. The first was a man named Simeon. And in Luke's gospel, it says that it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so Mary and Joseph show up with Jesus that day. They walk in to the temple, and Simeon took Jesus in his arms, and he praised God, and he said this. He said, "Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations." A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so Mary and Joseph kind of take this in, and I'm sure they were kind of a little caught off guard by all these things that had been happening. And but then immediately says a few moments later they run into this other person, a woman named Anna, who was a a prophet. And it says that she was a widow who spent all of her time in the temple, night and day worshipping God, fasting and praying. And it says, coming up to Joseph and Mary, she gave things to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. See, there was something about this baby Jesus that inspired worship, that inspired these declarations of his identity and his purpose that nobody had ever seen or heard spoken about someone before. But in order to understand the power and the scandal of the incarnation. We have to understand the Jews in Jesus' time. John, in his gospel account, described it like this. We read this earlier. He said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the Jews would have heard those statements, the glory of God, the glory of the one and only, and they would have immediately have thought of Exodus forty thirty-four. So Exodus is the book that talks about Moses leading the people, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and leading them out, parting the Red Sea, and they go out into the wilderness in the desert and they're wandering around for 40 years because they're, they're so disobedient, right? And, and in that time, they were carrying around this ark, this wooden box that contained the the original stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, okay? And in that time, um, for the first time, they placed it into its somewhat permanent home. It was called the Tent of Meeting. And up to that point, the presence of God um, had followed them in a cloud by day, okay? It led them through the wilderness, and then at night, it was a pillar of fire. That was the presence of God to the Israelites, Now for the first time, the glory of God filled a place. Verse 34 in Exodus 40 says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So his glory used to be about a place. First, the the traveling tent of meeting And then later, they took the ark into Jerusalem. After they'd conquered all these people and David led them into Jerusalem, his son Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem. And they brought the ark into this room in the temple that was dedicated for it called the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where the presence of God dwelled. And it was such a holy place to the Israelites that only one person, the high priest, got to go into that room once a year. And any non-sanctioned person that tried to go in there would be struck dead immediately, okay? So when the Jews are hearing this about the glory of God, the glory of God to them was very serious business. You didn't just talk about that flippantly. But now John was saying that the glory of God, his very presence among humanity, filled this child, Jesus this baby that was born to two insignificant parents in a cave in this insignificant little hamlet called Bethlehem. Can you imagine how scandalous that had to sound to the Jews? You see, Jesus' birth sounds so much more incredible when you understand it in the context of the people that first were listening to this story being told by his followers. This was crazy. The glory of God came to us. It entered into this child named Jesus who made his home with us, Emmanuel, and then later in us. What was that last part again? He made his home with us and then later in us. That, I believe, is the missing piece the moment where the the true wonder of Christmas should really grab our attention. Like a child, we have to receive this gift of the incarnation that comes to us um, with with asking very few questions in regards to the how, because we're never going to understand that. And many more questions asked in regards to the so what. What does it all mean? What are the implications of this? I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. It's page 752. So it's one thing to say, for John to say in chapter 1 that the glory of the Lord filled Jesus, this baby. But then he goes on to say something that's, that's even more scandalous. In chapter 14, he's talking to his disciples about his impending death that he knew was coming. And he's telling them about what's going to happen after that. In verse 16 of chapter 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Folks, if... If Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit now, those of us that profess to be believers in Him, says the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in us, then what is in us that was in the clouds and in the ark and in the Holy of Holies and in Jesus? Anyone? His what? His glory right? The glory of God is in us. And if that's true, then what? Let's take a minor pause here. There we go. Okay. Focus. So the glory of God is in us. And if that's true, then what? Here's what. We are the incarnation of God. We are now the incarnation of God. The tabernacle where his presence dwells. Think about that. We don't have to understand it, but to maximize its truth and its power, we have to embrace it and believe it and act upon it. Well, what does that mean practically, Bob? It means this that we are not just to talk about Jesus at Christmas. We are to be Jesus. We are to be Jesus. So what do we say that Jesus offers the world? Give me some answers. What do we say Jesus offers the world? What? Love? What else? Eternal life? Keep going here. Forgiveness, peace. Peace. Joy, hope, truth, yeah, all these things, right? So if Jesus offers those things to the world, then we, filled with the glory of God, just like Jesus, we're to offer the world those same things. Not just at Christmas, but all the time. All the time. And the reason why Christmas fails to capture our imagination sometimes is because we're missing the scandalous implications of it all. It's not just that God became a baby. It's that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his Holy Spirit dwells in us. To a lost And broken and hurting world, we, the Church of Jesus Christ, His followers, we are now the physical manifestation of the glory of God. Holy moly. (laughs) That certainly makes Christmas more interesting, doesn't it? Imagine if we embraced and lived out that narrative. It makes you want to say fooey to Santa and shopping and malls, doesn't it? We've got some things to wrestle with. We have a lifetime to ponder the implications and embrace the wonder of God in us. But for now, I, I want to suggest kind of a first step, okay? Today, and as we continue to live in this Advent season for a few more days here, can we take on the posture of the Magi who didn't really understand fully who it was they were coming to see? But when they did, it said they bowed down and worshiped him. Can we fall on our knees and wonder? The glory of God is with us. The glory of God is in us. We are the incarnation. And the Apostle Paul, he understood this. And that's why he said, he said, God is making his appeal to the world through you and I. God help us, right? And so many of you guys are doing that already in such beautiful ways. A lot of you guys are... are educators, your young life leaders, you're working with teenagers in our community, incarnating Christ in the way that you're loving them and and showing them hope and pointing them towards a savior. Many of you are are volunteering and serving in our community, in our neighborhood, at Food for Kids and coaching basketball teams and at the guest house, showing people the hope and the love that is in Christ. So God this morning is, is both smiling on us, So pleased with our desire to incarnate his love, but he's also asking us to go deeper, to fully embrace our identity, to let our light shine in the darkness, to let the aroma of Christ be everywhere that we are, to be channels of his glory, rivers of grace flowing from the ocean of his presence. And imagine the Christmas story we could be telling our children. Can we take it deeper than the nice, safe manger scene? To let them know that the glory of God can reside in them as well. And to begin to explain to them this unique and mysterious blessing that we can have being carriers of his glory. and the opportunity that we have to display his love because of what's true about us. Now, we can't really begin to tell our children that narrative unless we're living it ourselves, right? Unless we're starting to wrap our minds around this idea that the glory of God dwells in us, that we are the tabernacle of his presence. What used to be exclusive is now accessible to everyone Through you and I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incarnation. And you took what was already mysterious and um, honestly a little frightening, (laughs) your presence, something that, that struck fear sometimes in the hearts of people, something that was that was serious business that only a few people even ever got to experience. And you took your physical presence and you, you put it into a child, your son, earthy, fleshy, tangible, accessible. You could touch him. You could see him. You could walk with him and live with him. That in itself is crazy. Crazy but then you took it a step further and you shared your presence with each one of us. God, that we could be carriers of your glory. Lord, we have no idea who we are. We have no idea the power and the wonder and the majesty that is in each one of us. But God, the more that we ponder that, the more we get in touch with wrapping our minds around that truth and even though we might not believe it um, or be able to understand it in our minds to believe that it's true in our hearts, you have the ability to use it. Help us not to run from our identity or to shy away from our glory but to embrace it with humility and to say, God, use me. Let me be a conduit of your love, your grace, your peace, your joy, your hope, your forgiveness to this world that desperately needs each one of us to live like it's true. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.